0: Today's scripture reading is found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Take a moment to turn to the text in your Bible to follow along. The reading will also be on the screen behind me. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Praise be to God. You can be seated. Hey, can we just give it up for Vivian? So yeah, I, I, she does this every week for us if you're new, and uh, this week I emailed her, or she emailed me, and she's like, okay, give us scripture reading, I'm like, are you sure? And she's like, yep, sounds like a challenge to me, I want it, and, and so she, she knocked it out of the park. Hey, how, how many of you, honestly, you zoned out during reading, all right, um, yes, it, I, I looked around, so I surveyed, so I know how many are telling the truth. Um, so you're like, some of you are like, no, no, I'm way more spiritual than that, right? Um, or you're way more critical, because you're like, did she pronounce that right? Yes, she did, trust me. Oh, I'm always going to go with Vivian's pronunciation than yours, all right? Um, but, uh, so we are uh, starting our Advent series here at the Parks Church. Typically what we do is we preach through books of the Bible, and uh, we're not going to preach through all of Matthew. Don't worry, we did that about seven, eight years ago. Uh, but during this Advent season, I am going to teach through Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter, 20, uh, chapter 2. And, and I'm doing this intentionally because of how we typically jump into Advent is, like, we just get, like, get me to verse 16, right? Look, look at it, all right? Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who is also called the Christ. Now let's start Advent. But why does Matthew, the gospel writer of Matthew, start with a list of names? Why does he start with a genealogy? I don't know about you, but if, I, if, if, like, I want you to read my book, and I start with just a list of names or a family tree, like that's not real enticing to keep reading, right? Well, that's from our context, with our Western eyes, with our Western ears. And so this morning, I want to work toward answering the question, why would Matthew start with a genealogy? with Jesus's family tree. Because he's trying to establish something very, very important. And he's trying to establish a couple things. And, And by the way, I'm not going to, you want to keep your Bible open, I'm not going to go through every name in this and do like an Old Testament survey. I know some of you would like that, but the majority of you would not. So I will highlight some of these names. But Matthew starts with the genealogy for a couple reasons. The first is this, to establish Before we get to the birth scene, before we get to the manger, right, the little baby swaddled uh, with with, with the cloth, he wants to establish that Jesus, from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is the prophesied Messiah in line with the king. He is in rightful line. You can trace it. Time, space, place, person. You can trace it back to Jesus. He is in rightful line. He is the prophesied Messiah. He is the king. It's the the promise that, that God gave David, right? We spent 50 50 weeks here at the Parks Church studying 1st and 2nd Samuel together, and uh, God's covenant with David was would, was this, right? That he was going to establish the line of David for how long? Thank you. Uh, yeah, at least one person was here for 50 weeks, right? I'm just kidding. But it was forever, forever and ever, and the question that they felt in the Old Testament was how how is he going to establish David's line forever? And like, do you really want to establish David's line based upon some of his historical behavior patterns, right? Forever and ever. And the answer to that is absolutely yes. And it's coming in and through who? Jesus. But it also came after, I don't know if you could just flip one page back in your Bible, Mind this represents 400 years of silence. Of God being quiet and not speaking. And what shatters the silence in our Bibles is a genealogy. (laughs) What's God up to? You see, God is not just showing a traceable line that Jesus is king. God is disclosing in a list of names his heart and his plan for all of eternity. You see, this is so much more. Now listen, I doubt any of you gather around your Christmas tree on Christmas morning and are like, all right, here's the genealogy. Maybe this year you will. But I want to take that last point, right? I I know many of you, you understand the genealogy traces the line of Jesus, but I want to look at the genealogy through the lens of understanding God's heart toward people because behind this list of names are stories underneath each and every name. Now listen, I'd love to unpack every name, but again, I'm not going to. And so let's look at the, first, um, at the first thing I want to draw out for us from the genealogy. So keep your Bible open. Revealing the heart of God is first, revealing God's heart for all people. A-L-L, all people. Now here's the beautiful thing about the way God works is that he's established his plan. He's let us know what his plan is. And his plan since the beginning of time, since Genesis, is to save, to seek and save those who are lost, all nations, all tribes, all tongues. And and, and, And God, in Matthew chapter 1, establishes in his genealogy his heart for all people. And one of the ways that God does this in the genealogy here is by putting in people who are never included in Jewish genealogies. And for some of you who were in the women's Bible study, I believe it was on on Thursday mornings, you you actually walked through this in the Gospels, those who were never included in in Jewish genealogies were who? Women. And if you look at the genealogy, if you were listening and not zoning out while Vivian was reading, you would would have heard some very familiar female names in the genealogy. This is showing God's heart, right? To, To gather those who are typically excluded and bring them into being included. But notice these aren't necessarily shining stars if you know your Old Testament. Right? Neither are the guys, by the way. Okay, and we'll get to that just in a second. But these are people who have pasts, who have histories. Remember, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Son of God. Like God could have included anyone he wanted in the universe. And who did he choose to include? Well, let's start by looking at these four ladies. By the way, the majority of them that he includes in this genealogy are not Jewish. They're non-Jews. And so the first one we see um, in this is Tamar. And if you know your Old Testament, this comes from Genesis chapter 38. You can read some of her story. And because we have kids in here, I'll kind of gloss over uh, the, the, the main details. But this lady dressed up essentially as a prostitute and fooled her father-in-law Uh, into sleeping with her so she could have a child. But Tamar, as the story unfolds, later would turn her heart toward God. This is in the genealogy, y'all. This is in the family. This is how the Gospel of Matthew starts Advent, right? Or, Or how about Rahab, the next one listed there in the genealogy. She was one of the most notorious prostitutes in all of the city of Jericho most of you know the story of Rahab, that she hid Joshua in the spies of Israel in her house. And she says this to Joshua. She says, I know that the Lord God has given you this land. How would Rahab know that? How would this woman of that vocation know that? Because somewhere along the way, She heard the word of God and the truth about God, and she put her faith in God enough to risk her life by hiding these spies. And through that, her life was spared. You see, God isn't afraid to identify with those who have checkered past, who have have messed up. What about Ruth, right? A Moabite woman. Now, you need to understand something about the Moabites. This was a nation that was utterly despised. Deuteronomy 23 actually calls them a cursed people, yet God redeems Ruth. Ruth makes the the pronouncement that she is going to follow Yahweh, committing her life, committing her way to serving God, and God not just redeems her individually, but redeems her her whole life. Or the wife of Uriah the Hittite, we know her as Bathsheba. All of these people included in the story, in in the genealogy of Jesus. You see, as I look at this, as I see this list of the people who God chooses to include in this, it shows me that God's heart is deeply moved and loves all people. Not just lovely people, not just perfect people, but messed up people. You see, our God is a God who knows how to work with failure. If he didn't know how to work in failure, he has no shot of using us. Amen? You see, God cares for. He loves those of us who have wrecked, who have messed up, who have broken past baggage, and invites us as he invited them to turn to him. And he even places them in his family line. So the first thing I see about God's heart is this, that he loves people so deeply, so much more deeply than we can fathom. And the second thing is this about God's plan and his heart is that nothing and no one can hinder God's plan. You see, you, you continue to look at this list and, and 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 some of the names you recognize, no doubt, right? Father Abraham, right? That means Abraham had a problem with lying. Isaac, right? Isaac didn't want to accept Jacob as the heir of his promise, so he lied as well and was a deceiver most of his life. Judah. Didn't really live a godly life, right? So we're like, where are the bright spots in this genealogy, Kyle? Uh, Honestly, the bright spots are the people we know nothing about. To be fair. Oh, no, 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 I got it. King David. Ah. A man after God's own heart. Yes, he was. Absolutely. Why was he a a man after God's own heart? Because he was perfect. Perfect. Again, 50 weeks, first and second Samuel, we know better than that. Was it because he lived a flawless life? Because he was rich. Is, is that why he's included in here? Is that why he was known as a, a man after God's own heart? No. He was known after a man after God's own heart because David knew what to do when he fell. When David sinned, here was his orientation: repentance and back to the Lord. Oh, what about maybe, maybe a bright spot? Maybe that, that's Solomon, David's son. I mean, he did a lot. Well, Solomon, to be honest, started out really good. Really, really good, in fact. But he allowed his wives to turn his heart away from God into their gods, to worship their gods. And Solomon ends, if you know the story, he ends in a mess. Rehoboam, Asa, Jehoshaphat, all terrible kings. Uzziah. Uzziah is an interesting one. He throws a temper tantrum in the temple and is struck with leprosy. hold on, this is the genealogy of Jesus. This is the family line. This is where we're tracing, we're going through, we're we're coming to the Messiah and we're going through all of these lists of names of people struggling, of people falling, of people having these these messed up, this baggage that they bring with them. What is going on? But the one I want to highlight, and if i got to be honest, I think he's the worst on the list, is Manasseh. Manasseh, and you can see him in verse 10. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos. Now, let me give you a little context here for Manasseh. He became king at age 12, put into the kingship. Scholars would write about this king saying that he filled Jerusalem with blood from one side to the other. That in his rule and as he reigned, there was no justice, no mercy. He even took the lives of his own children to sacrifice them to other gods. He's the one responsible for killing the prophet Isaiah by cutting him or sawing him in two. Merry Christmas doing, Matthew? God, what are you doing with this list of names? You see, that's not the end of Manasseh's story, though. 2 Chronicles chapter 33 says this, and this happens when a foreign army, the Assyrian army, captures Manasseh and drags him with hooks into a dungeon. This is the story. Read it in your Old Testament. And when he was in distress, it's Manasseh, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Now, some of you are going, with the resume I just listed, some of you are going, the guy got what he deserved, right? Hooks, a dungeon, dragging them in. How do you think, don't read ahead, how do you think God is going to respond to Manasseh humbling himself, going, What am I doing? What have I done with my life? How do you think the God of the universe is going to respond? Let's find out. Verse 13. He prayed to him and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Did you see that? What did God just do there? Forgave him. Manasseh, repentance is met by God's forgiveness. How in the world, why in the world would God do that? I love what one scholar says about the genealogy. He says this, and I want you to hear this clearly. The names that lead to Christ tell us something about the names that can flow from Christ. The names that lead to Christ tell us about something about the names that can flow from Christ. Listen to me, we have a God who loves so deeply, whose plan and purpose cannot be stopped or hindered by anyone or anything. We serve a God who is willing to work with our failures. If we in turn turn our hearts to him, he is willing to restore. He's willing to bless, he's willing to help, he's willing to come alongside us and not just alongside us, he's willing to bring us in to his family. That is what this whole Advent series is about. Emmanuel, God with I should have put a question mark at the end of us? Us? God with us, are you serious that the God of the universe would step down into this mess, this brokenness, this chaos, and redeem us, our past, our baggage, the things we've done? And the answer to that is what? Verse 16. Jesus was born, who is called the Christ Christos, Savior, King, Lord, to us, the failure, the broken. He doesn't just enter in to go, I relate to that, because he can't. He's perfect. How does Jesus enter in? How does the incarnation enter? Well, this is where, and I think probably verse 17 is probably the most skipped... You might argue the names, but I think verse 17 is actually the most skipped in this whole passage. Look what Matthew does. He says, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And to that, many of you go, so what? Right? Just be honest. Like, what does that mean? You see, not one word in the Scriptures not one word is without a purpose. And this verse has a purpose to show us the reason for and how the incarnation absolutely transforms our lives and the lives of those included before in this genealogy. So let me break this down for you. Now, um, you can go crazy with numbers in the Bible, by the way. Anybody have been exposed to that? They're like, oh, 367. Well, 367 is actually, yeah, no, no I, like, I'm not into that, okay? But there is one number I want you to remember and the significance behind that number. It is the number seven. The number seven, biblically, is significant because it represents wholeness or completeness, okay? So it's been a while since I've been in math class, but let's look at verse 17, okay? Put that up for me. So we have these three generations, and each one he lists are what? 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. To me, in math, that's six sets of seven. Been a long time for you too, okay? That's six sets of seven. And then it introduces Jesus, who is the seventh, seventh generation, who is the seventh seven. Some of you are going, <laughs> I'm not tracking. <laughs> and that's okay. Because in the scriptures, Leviticus 25, you're like, Kyle, Levit- you're talking a genealogy and now you're quoting Leviticus? Okay. Leviticus 25 talks about something known as the year of Jubilee. How many of you ever heard of the year of Jubilee? Okay. Yeah, you grew up in a charismatic church. Okay, I got you. The year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was the seventh, seventh. So, after the 50th year, after the 49th year, was this year where, where all debts were released where where those who were enslaved were set free where, where 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 the land was was resting so here's what we have when when Matthew goes generation after generation after generation now Jesus is the seventh seven he is what Matthew is trying to paint to you he is the ultimate year of jubilee that Jesus has come to represent what has been represented historically by the, the, the year of Jubilee. Jesus now embodies that he is the ultimate rest. He is the ultimate completion. He is the ultimate one who is going to set the captives free. He's the one who will ultimately bring the rest you and I are looking for. Listen, that is all wrapped up in verse 17. And we miss it because this is a list of names and things that we skip over. Let me tell you, the original audience would not have missed it because a resume to them, a a, a genealogy to them was somebody's resume. It's how they knew that the line that they could trace to see what they were truly about and where they truly came from. And so know this, at the end of Jesus's resume, if you will, here's what Matthew says is Jesus is the ultimate jubilee. He is the ultimate rest you're looking for because he's the Messiah. And then begins the birth Then begins the story of how Jesus came and the the, the beautiful things that we're gonna walk through and we're gonna talk through. But it begins with the story of God's faithfulness and that's the last thing I wanna leave you with. That God is always faithful to his promises. All the way back in the book of Genesis, God made a promise that he would deliver us. Some of you, I think that's one of the things not just in this season, but um, in life in general that you really question. Is God really faithful? Let me say it another way. Can I really trust him? And for some of you, you look out or you look at your own circumstances, you look at the brokenness of this world. can Can I really trust him? See, one of the things I hope that even walking through some of these names in the genealogy does is to show that our God is faithful to meet you right where you're at, right where you are, calling you, yes, from those things into Himself so that He can show you His grace and His mercy in a brand new way. But this Advent, one of the things I want to do by kicking it off is, is each week um, we're going to hear a story, a story from someone in our faith family, in this church about how Emmanuel is not just some little Christmas cliche or name that we talk about Jesus in here, but it's something that that they've experienced in a real way this year, that God has been with us, that God is with us. What does that look like? Can I trust him? Is he really faithful? See, that's the question I want to submit to you this morning. Do you really believe that God is faithful? And during this series, um, I'm going to give us some extra time just to slow I'm kind of a I don't know if you can tell, I'm kind of a hyper person in general, you know. Sometimes we're just like, you know, to go, let's go. Just to pause to think deeply upon what this season actually means. And one of the ways we're gonna do this is by these stories or these these testimonies. And three months ago, actually our women's ministry with our with our media team was able to capture a, a much longer version of Charlene Sims' testimony. Um Charlene Sims uh, went to be with Jesus, uh, actually on Thanksgiving Day, um, a couple weeks ago. Um, and, and her husband Steve knows we're we're, we're going to show this, but I I want you to hear Charlene talk about the Lord, about His faithfulness, just for a couple minutes. And um, as we wrestle with this question, is God? Do I really believe God is faithful? Guys, you can play that.
2: Everything in my life changed when I moved to McKinney. My church changed, my home changed, my business changed. So God knew in His wisdom that He needed to move me on and He needed me to retire. And I wasn't ready to retire but I I did. I didn't have anything to do. I was just kind of like, okay, God, just give me six months of rest. Or no, give me a year of rest, it was. Then in July of 2022, I I realized later was a year. And I started having a pain in my lower abdomen and just a sharp pain. So we thought it was appendicitis, went to the hospital and found out that I had what is called leomyosarcoma and I didn't know it at that time but it's one of the, probably one of the worst cancers you can get and it's a death sentence when, when you get it and I, I didn't realize that until just recently and so I was going along my life just, you know, thinking that I'm going to be healed and, and the cancer's going to go away and I'm going to be great and that's not what's been happening. We've gone into the hospital numerous times, well, four times now, and and each time we've said, okay, God, we don't understand this, we don't understand what you're doing, but we had perfect peace about it. And just recently, we were told that they've tried everything that they can and there's nothing else they can. They've given us every treatment. They've done everything they can. And the doctor told me I had months to live, probably less than six months. And that was a hard, hard blow to get for Steve and I both. But we knew that God was faithful. In, that he would provide and he would do everything that we needed him to do and that he would provide everything and the the family at the parks during this last year has been phenomenal i mean they've been there every step of the way uh, community group uh the just the people at, at church uh, a group of young young people that have adopted us as their either mom or grandma now. And it's, it's been sweet, a sweet time. And I'm gonna miss all that, and it's gonna be hard. But I know that God has something better for me. And some people aren't gonna like to hear this, but I'm excited to see Jesus. And I know that it's God's timing, but it's given me a perspective of God is faithful every day. God is good every day. No matter what you get, no matter what you see, no matter what you do, no matter what hits you and slaps you in the face, God is faithful and He's going to hold me and He's going to hold Steve and He's going to walk with us as He's walked with us this whole journey this last year, as He's walked with me since the day that I was born. My life has not been easy, but I will not change a thing about my life. Because God has been faithful and he's been good. And he still is. I
1: think about how Paul writes <clears throat> about his, his life being a, a, a letter to be read by all. I was able to spend the last, my wife and I, the last <clears throat> moments with Charlene, but days even leading up to that um in her life even in those last moments radiated the hope of Jesus Christ the future hope the future hope that anchored her soul was what her eyes were fixed on that the things in her life they were momentary troubles they were momentary because they were giving way to something that was eternal and listen in this Advent season, in the season of Advent, all of us are waiting. We're not waiting on Christ's first Advent. That's come and we celebrate that, amen? But we're still in a season of waiting where we feel the brokenness, we, we hear the brokenness, right? We feel the weight and the pain of someone who we just saw waiting through stage four cancer. Or maybe for some of you waiting through things that you've, you've held in inside in the closet, no one knows about them, but you feel the darkness and pain of this world. Listen, that is why Jesus came, to dispel the darkness of this world and fill it with his marvelous light. And for some of you, many of you, you've received him, but yet we're still waiting and we're still waiting through the things of this broken world. For others of you, you have not received the light of Christ. And for you, you're, you're, you're doing your best, but you're just You're honestly trying to stumble through the darkness, making your own way and your own energy and your own effort. Let me tell you, that's where your faith is. So when I ask the question, do you believe God is faithful, your answer to that has to be, I don't. I trust more in myself, in my way, in my intellect, in my ability to produce or to be secure or whatever it is. But for those of you who have put your trust in Jesus, you see what we announce, even as we prepare to come to these tables of communion, is that our whole lives, all of our trust, is wrapped up in a God who fulfills his promises exactly how he has planned. That that 400 years of silence was not punishment over something, that those stories from Genesis all the way to the first chapter in Matthew was not some kind of probationary period to try out things. All of those were pointing to the glory and goodness of God being fulfilled in the coming of his son, Jesus. And what I want you to hear this morning is this, that the incarnation, the coming of Jesus, is absolutely the hinge, the point on which everything else pivots for redemption, for salvation, for salvation. For God to show us His beautiful light and continue to show us His wonderful light. And so, here's what I want to do. We we have a little bit of time here. I want to ask that question again Do you believe God is faithful? Do you believe God is faithful? Silence is an interesting thing, isn't it? Kind of makes us squirm. Told you we were going to slow down. Do you believe God is faithful to accomplish His work in and through you? Me? Yeah, but Kyle, you don't know my past. You don't know my history. You don't know my present. (laughs) You're right, I don't. But the God of the universe does. And he has sovereignly placed you and me here in this moment to be confronted with the most beautiful truth in all of the world. And it's this truth, listen to God loves you. And he sent his son to save you, to rescue you. Hosts, get ready. As we get ready to receive communion, I'm going to pray for us. And here's what I want us to do in communion as others are receiving it. Let's not squander this moment, but let's hold this for what it is a sacred moment where the Lord, His Spirit, wants to interact with our hearts and with our minds. Father, thank you for awkward moments. where my mind and my heart are confronted with the things that I I truly hold dear, where my faith truly is, where my trust truly is. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that even in these moments of receiving communion, you you would shape us, inform us, and capture us again to the true depth of grace that is, your, you sending your son for us. God, help us to not be buried under nostalgia and tradition at this time of year. Give us a depth and an awe of Jesus, I pray. God, even, may even our walking to the tables of communion be by faith and through faith receiving these elements. May this evoke deep worship in us as we come and get the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. Oh Lord, I pray for the Parks Church. I pray for us as a community of faith that you would stir us up and wake us up from just what can be apathy, what can be going through the mundane motions. Father, stir us up for your glory so that Jesus might, the true Jesus, the biblical Jesus, might truly be seen in and through this community for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.